electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber at the New York Stock Exchange. Coming off the first back-to-back losses for the Dow in more than a month, and futures suggest another drop as China has at least two cities on lockdown over the coronavirus. Earnings pile in from the transports and more. Europe is weak. ECB's unchanged. Lagarde speaking. And oil's at its lowest since December 3rd. Our roadmap begins with stocks set to pull back at the open on a big day for corporate results. P&G dragging the Dow lower. Comcast and Travelers both with better-than-expected quarterly results. Plus the Boeing impact for airlines. The CEOs of both Southwest and American Airlines will join us to discuss that this morning. And live from Davos, Sarah is joined by the Secretary General of the U.N. later on this hour. First up, though, a ton of earnings to get to. We're going to start with P&G today, beating estimates by five cents a share, raising the full-year earnings outlook. Sales did miss, uh, hurt by a stronger dollar. Don't see that too often. Our parent company, Comcast, beating on both the top and the bottom lines. Cable division, record quarterly net additions for customer relationships, 10% div hike, all-time high in the pre-market. Here's what uh, Chairman and CEO Brian Roberts said earlier on Squawk. We made a pivot to a broadband-centric cable company that that whether it's for streaming or gaming or any other app that you're interested on your television the best wi-fi that's the number one product that's what we go to market with we now have a mobile product and we have multiple video offerings David, as you know, uh, yeah. a lot of moving stories, management changes, uh, ambitions in global news with Sky and a lot more. A lot more. I chose that bite, though, because that's the key to this company and that's what investors are most focused on. It's not. And they have succeeded, I think. And obviously it is our parent company, but they have succeeded in moving um, the focus from loss of video subs to the addition of what they call internet or broadband subs. Everybody connecting, of course, through Comcast to get the broadband, which arguably is the most single important connection in your home uh, these days. And so you had total customer relationship net additions of 372,000 for the quarter. That was bolstered by the 442,000 new internet high-speed customers offsetting the loss of video subs, which we still pay attention to, Jim, but which is just not as important for this company because it is about EBITDA and the growth there, and it is fueled by people hooking up with the broadband. Right. I mean, look, I don't know if the stock's looking suddenly down. It doesn't make you know, a lot the call, of sense to me. I, I got it. We'd have to check the call and see what, what was said, because it did look as though it was going to be up um, just moments ago. Right. I mean, we're at a disadvantage here. The Union Pacific report number looks bad. And then on the quarter, they talk about how growth is coming back. Uh, I, look, I look at uh, Procter & Gamble. I actually like the number, but to maybe they're saying something about baby that's not that good. Uh, look, what matters with Comcast is, I think, twofold. One is just Internet. is uh, David, the broadband is fantastic. And they yeah. make a ton of money. But then no. Sky, nothing but upside to Sky, me. Sky actually looked, looked fairly good. Look good. Yeah, well, looked, uh, looked fairly good in terms of the revenue growth, I think. And to your point, I mean, they're going to get to a point at Comcast where high-speed Internet revenues um, actually meet 
you know, are rising and meet the falling revenues right. from video. Right now, 5.5 billion in video revenues versus 4. Point, let's call it 8 billion in internet. But that's the two. One yes. is growing 8.8%. The other is only declining 1.2%. And then wireless is interesting as an opportunity. Two million subscribers now. Remember the MVNO with Verizon. Some questions there are clearly, and uh, you have to wonder what the ambitions yeah. will be in the future as 5G becomes something and its ability to reach into the home with a broadband wireless product certainly is a possibility. Uh, so we'll wait and see right. uh, now, they what are that talking. means. And we'll, we're still watching closely Sprint and T-Mobile because that could figure prominently into so many people's strategy in this, re- well, in this they are, area. They are talking about a little weakness in, uh, in Sky's territories, which is not good. Uh, also, uh, talking about how NBC affiliate revenue growth is going to be tough to grow. I, I think that those are all should be known. I, I just I think soft across the board. Sky is a little jarring uh, because Sky is the next leg. Right. Uh, I don't want to jump to the conclusion that, that this was supposed to be Sky was supposed to be robust. I think Sky's working. Yeah. Um, FT's got a great piece on just what the Sky. Uh, maneuver means. If you're trying to break into global news, uh, there's a lot of entrenched, uh, very good, strong business models that you're trying to bust up. Right. Um, And uh, real quickly, from the call, apparently they are talking about price hikes in the cable product and the potential for and continued sub losses. So perhaps that is pressuring the shares, which have been very strong this year, outpacing the market's overall gain. Comcast have been up five and a half percent so far this year. You know what's uh, but you can see it is losing uh, ground there. You know what's something that is uh, annoying to me, but uh, there are people, many people out there in this country who own these stocks for dividends. And there was a really big dividend boost. Yeah, ten cents. Ten cents. I mean, the people that are uh, ten cents. You, you know, rich people, big institutions, they're like not focused on it. But I, I think it's a sign of, of, of uh, health. And we've seen dividend boosts that are so much more positive Versus the commentary of that it's all Fed bubble. I mean, you're not getting a dividend boost because of Fed bubble. And yet a lot of the top-down people are saying that this rally is Fed bubble. Tell me how Comcast's dividend boost has anything to do with the Fed. And if you try to do it, you're just playing mental parlor games. Yeah. Uh, as for the airlines, obviously a lot of news today. American beat by a penny. Revenue essentially in line. Uh, 10,000 flights canceled due to the max. Southwest uh, Q4 profit down 21 uh, as the max obviously added to costs. Revenue came in slightly above. We're going to talk to both CEOs, as David said, of American and Southwest. Um, the love story is going to be interesting, uh, as Gary Kelly, uh, there's this big item in there, Jim, uh, regarding Boeing compensation. Yeah. Look, uh, the, the ripples of this are so huge that you can't talk enough about it. Now, there was a, a, there was a very contrary piece of recommendation of GE today, Morgan Stanley. My biggest worry, of course, is this thing doesn't get solved. This thing doesn't get solved. Uh, we have a unique group of CEOs who run the airlines. They're outspoken. They're not afraid. And they're not <laughs> diplomatic. Yeah. Uh, Gary Kelly's not diplomatic about this. No, and he's coming on, and I'm looking forward to what he's, what he's going to tell us, given uh, his speaking about it uh, in the past. Um, he should be having a huge year. You know, guys, I want to talk more about the airlines, but I'd love to get to some, some breaking news this breaking morning news? as well on uh, HP and uh, Xerox. I'm nominating everybody. There you go, because they're nominating everybody, and we can confirm now, of course, something we've told you in the past, which is that HP is going to be nominating uh, uh, 11 directors, excuse me, Xerox is going to be nominating 11 directors uh, for the uh, Hewlett-Packard board. This, of course, uh, yet another um, significant move as Xerox continues to try to get Hewlett-Packard to the negotiating table, essentially, to discuss 
uh, bringing the two companies together. The current bid from Xerox, as our, uh, as our uh, viewers likely know, 22 bucks, 17 of that in cash. Most recently, the, the last significant step they took was lining up their financing, getting it committed, starting to pay for it. But this is a real uh, moment here, of course, in what is really the only hostile confrontation of, of, of significant companies that we have out there right now. We can give you the, the, the names and the faces. There they are. Uh, the full slate uh, of board members uh, that we're talking about. Betsy Atkins, who comes on here frequently as well, formerly the, uh, uh, has been the chief executive officer of Baja Corporation. She's also uh, a, 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 a well-known uh, director. Wynn Resorts is one of her, uh, one of her Zessel Green as well. George Bickerstaff, Carolyn Bird. Janine Dief, uh, Diefenderfer, Kim Fenebrest, remember him? Sure. CEO of uh, Cowan & Company. Remember Kim, from, of course, coming on as a guest host for many years on the old Squawk Box. And on from there, Fred Hochberg, another name that some people may know. Uh, this is not an icon-led uh, slate. This is a Xerox-picked uh, slate. And we'll see how it matches up and how investors feel it matches up against the 11 directors, right. of course, that they will be going up against. Uh, this very well could go to the annual meeting. So we are talking about the spring. Uh, we don't have a specific date at this point. As uh, people know, the nominating window for directors was going to close as of tomorrow. So this was not a surprise. We've been telling everybody this would come. Those 11 directors have now been uh, nominated uh, by uh, uh, Xerox. And the question will be put to HP. Now, you don't expect them all to get elected. Right. But there are some high quality directors there. No doubt about that, I think, in reviewing this at least quickly. And uh, the expectation would be that perhaps some, uh, and if you get enough, Jim, you certainly, during the course of the election, can try to get HP to the negotiating table, something they have refused to do thus far. David, what do you, how do you explain the incredible level of confidence from the HP people that this is just nothing? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it? I say nothing. I, I mean, like, hey, let's talk about the Warriors versus Portland. I'm not, this is nothing. No, I don't know. Cognitive dissonance. I'm not sure what you could really do to, there is, to explain I mean, it. Or um, level of confidence. It's not level necessarily what I hear. I don't know what you hear from shareholders of either company. Of course, Xerox has been maintaining that there's at least $2 billion in overall synergies in a, in a uh, union. They believe John Byzantine, of course, the CEO of Xerox, would be best to run this combination, deliver on those synergies. It is still a bizarre situation to have a company with an $8 billion market value trying to take over a company with a $32 billion market value. And many who are even in the belief that these two companies belong together still seem to think that if, in fact, you do get to the negotiating table, you will end up with a deal in which HP actually buys Xerox. That said, right now they are moving firmly down the path that says we're going to do it. We've got the financing. We potentially are going to raise the price. At some point, we'd expect that that would be the case. Price, of course, has been a key issue uh, that HP, at least, people close to that company have uh, have said stands in the way of any real dialogue here. And they will go to an exchange slash tender offer at some point as well. All of those things being sequenced as they move into and later into this year closer to the annual meeting. But we're talking about a real fight here, no doubt. And they have, they have done everything they said they would at Xerox. I know, I, I, except for do really well. Yeah. By the way, on that point, they've got earnings. They're going to have to show something. Well, they something better blow out the too. numbers. Maybe that and will then, make it so. And that then what about HP? They're going to also have to. HP you know, is going to be hindered by on them as well. HP is going to be hindered by Intel. Yep. Intel problems. Uh, they can't get enough chips. It's a high quality problem to some degree, but they don't want to miss sales. But uh, the the HP people are. It's like they're not talking about this is going to be it, the Chiefs versus the Niners. They're saying, hey, there's no game. No game. No game. I know. And it, 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 it is interesting to Isn't hear it? that. Um, 
Hey, so just a little note here. Chip Berg, not in Davos. You know, was supposed, I think usually is. Lead. Not there. He's the well, lead director, of course. The well, man's sort of leading this charge. He's back, although uh, I think Enrique is there. Well, but um, Chip probably wants to go to the Super Bowl game. But he could fly back. Chip yeah. might be worried about Levi's because VF Corp had a bad number. But VF Corp did spin off Contour. But it is fascinating business. to talk to both sides and hear Xerox say that they really believe they are getting the support of shareholders from both companies. Yeah. There is some overlap there as well. And HP saying, take it to a vote. Yeah. They're not going to Yeah, win. be my guest. Yeah. They're doing a be my guest situation. It's kind of like uh, Trump in the Senate versus the Democrats. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Give me go ahead. Yeah, um, and Senator so McConnell. They will, sure. but this this fight will continue as we thought it very well might for All some right. time. And of course, there is no sign at this point that HP has uh, decided to at least just enter into negotiations. You can always try it and right. then say no. By the way, that may be a stronger position you put yourself in with your shareholders when you say we did talk to them yet again, it, it, okay, okay, and okay. we determined this is not in the best interest is, of our shareholders. Is, is HP oblivious? Are they just oblivious? No idea. David, this is a big story. These are two-story names. You know, yeah. this is not flippity flop versus I don't know. Flavity flip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dot com. When we come back, we'll get Kramer's Mad Dash countdown to the opening bell. Uh, we'll get to some upgrades of GE, uh, limited brands, Micron, Western Dig. There's another sell on Tesla. Talk about minutiae on tax cuts. Uh, the long bond, by the way, ten-year one seven four is a six-week low. Back mm-hmm. in a minute. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Counting down to an opening bell here, about 14 minutes. Time for our mad dash. You want to do a group of yes. stocks? Well, I find sometimes the uh, sell side will do surveys, and I find them very valuable. Bear did a sur- survey saying that Facebook, Twitter, and Snap increase user engagement. Obviously, David, increased user engagement means increase, uh, increased ad dollars. And uh, this to me is a continual story with this one. This one being the big surprise. I think Snap can go up even from here. They are doing very well in advertising. Twitter's a little bit more of a question mark. And Facebook, David, Instagram, on fire. Now, people look at Facebook and they think this stock has moved a great deal, Snap, great deal. But if they are what people are saying, they're going to pick up a lot of consumer packaged good ads that they haven't had. And that's CPG, as we call it, is crucial. And I think you're going to start seeing, I've got to get Proctor's number, but you know, Clorox is now more than 50%, these guys. Mm-hmm. Also Google and Amazon. But so I like this call. Snap can live in a world in which Instagram thrives as well. Yes. And Snap can still it thrive. It is amazing. I thought it would die. Uh, you know, my daughter sends me a picture of my face in a loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. It's like, Dad, this is what people are doing. And I'm like, that's what they're doing? Yeah. And so Snap, is, Snap never lost its audience but was poorly run. Uh, Evan and I really, we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things, like right. nothing, right down to clothes. But I invite Evan on to come on uh, tomorrow because I think he's got the best story to tell, he's, or when he reports he, his earnings. But he's not coming on. 
Why not? We're inviting him. Oh, you well, invited him? Yeah, well, I have to go to Davos to interview him. Yeah. No, I want Evan to come uh, on. A completely unscientific survey in my own household would indicate that TikTok is getting a lot of screen oh, time. Oh, TikTok days, is just. TikTok is. That TikTok is. is it's like Kuzo. It, it's like a weed. It's underfoot constantly. And it's not good. It's not good for the country. Could you tell El Presidente that? Can you call him that? Oh, no, El Presidente is Barstool. Can you, t- can you tell President Trump I that TikTok is a, line a scourge? Other, other people do. All right, you I'll, give, do. I'll give it to you. He's right. over at Davos. I'm the only person not in Davos. Well, no, we're here. Oh, with you're you. not either. Yeah, your two colleagues who do your show, we're Could both here. Could you put here. that hat on that you had when you were there? That was not in Davos, the hat. You're talking about I'm yours. in Queens. They're in Davos. I'm in Queens. Nothing wrong with Queens. All right, when yeah, we come Amazon. back. Amazon. Talk to Amazon. God, don't remind me. When we come back, though, right here, uh, we're going to have the CEO of Southwest, Gary Kelly. We're going to get his thoughts on the latest uh, on Boeing, of course, and the still grounded 737 Max. I've been very clear. We're not happy about our situation. Um, You know, we put we put our future in the hands of Boeing and the Max and we're grounded. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Sell-off was hard in Asia overnight. You had Hong Kong uh, down one and a half, Shenzhen A shares down three and a half, and futures suggest a third drop for the Dow at least in a row. We'll watch that closely. A reminder here, you can always watch us live on the go on the CNBC app. The opening bell is in eight minutes. You're watching CNBC Squawk on the Street, live from the financial capital of the world. The opening bell in about five minutes. Uh, Busy Thursday, obviously, with uh, earnings. Uh, Mnuchin, David Solomon, and Davos. We'll hear some of that sound in a moment. But the weak action in Asia overnight, really driven, Jim, by more confirmed cases of the coronavirus. The tape has a case now in Singapore, Saudi Arabia. uh, Lockdowns on these cities of 11 million people. Right. Right at the period where they went the New Year and they've got the travel celebration. I think I... Just like the 11-11, this is another thing that we may not be as familiar about. This is like great pilgrimage, shopping pilgrimage. Well, obviously, if you want consumption and courage, it's the opposite of what you want. Again, the, the, all the scientists that I've read, uh, uh, PRC, China, scientists, but away from there, Wuhan, the, the district just didn't act right. They're slow. They didn't understand. The PLA needs to be called in. It does seem like a little chaotic and uh Yesterday, we didn't feel that way. And so that's why there's, I, mean, I don't know why we trust the beginning. They, there was, there were just, 
Every, you know, that's a big city. And it was clear that they weren't taking the, any of the measures that you need to take. I mean, it's not like you have 11 million people and it's like hiding. Yeah, it is, it is sometimes worth mentioning. A city of 11 million is far in excess of our largest city, which is the one we're in right here. And then they've got another city of 8 million, which is equivalent roughly to New York City size, that they're also similarly having uh, travel restrictions on as well. Um, but 1.3 billion people. It's a yeah. lot of people in a country. I know I have so, a keen sense for the obvious. Watch, uh, watch luxury goods. Watch uh, airlines, of yeah. course. Um, you're seeing a, mo- a slate of movies, uh, premieres this week, all delayed indefinitely because of the yeah. holiday. Uh, we went over them last night on Bad Money. You're talking about Marriott. You're talking about United. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about Estee Lauder. Uh, these are not touchable right now. You have to, because we looked at Ebola. And uh, right. Ebola, we, was, we Ebola though, in terms of deadliness Ebola. and SARS, thankfully worse than at least it appears that this virus is totally. in terms and, of Yes, and we made that point, but what, we, what we found, though, is, is that severity. at the beginning, everyone's really scared. Uh, we think this is going to be shorter duration. Now, just so you know, the, the comeback was so sharp that it actually paid to get in, say, tomorrow. I mean, the comeback was just, there was so much shorting at the bottom that you had a reaction that was boom. So look at United. That is the one. I know we have Gary Kelly, but United is the one that I think could snap back the most other than Marriott. Arnie Sorensen was already talking about Hong Kong being down. Uh, well, Hong CEO. Kong has its own set of problems. Oh, right? my. The economy there has obviously suffered as a result. You know, the economy there, they're talking about basically a possible depression. Yeah. Uh, all that said, there's a slew of upgrades today, including uh, Morgan Stanley on GE, ups to overweight. Price target goes to 14. Speaking of aviation, Jim, they do call aviation best in class. Right. I mean, this is one where I think they're getting in shape for uh, the inevitable comeback of the Max, or else you would wait. This was a, I think this was a, a classic case of a big institutional upgrade. Individuals at home, what they're saying is, look, you can go buy 100 million shares of this thing right now. Now, individuals at home, I would prefer to wait to see closer to the uh, max because this next quarter could be a quarter where Larry Culp says, listen, we have to, uh, we can't determine yet the impact. Larry Culp is a straight guy. But they did say long-term care is under control. I thought that was very good. The black hole that was powered, David, they say it's not a black hole anymore. Right. I think that's really in many ways the key. Right. In terms of stabilizing power, nobody's talking about it being a growth business of any kind. But just being able to stabilize power at GE is certainly significant. And I think that is the expectation as we head deeper into this year that it will be the case. Miracle worker? A miracle worker. That is how you would term Mr. Cole? No, I was, I was asking. I was a miracle worker. I mean, it was a, a question mark at the end. Not miracle worker. Right. It was miracle worker? Yeah, I guess that's I a, think so. a question mark so. on that. But uh, oh, come on, it was pure chaos there. This is that bridge year for GE where they hope to then be far? able to return. Bridge over troubled water? Bridge over the river quiet? No, that's, that ends badly. It does bring to mind that conference call from David Calhoun at Boeing yesterday where he said, I do believe in this airplane, uh, not considering scrapping the max. Uh, dividend would not be suspended or cut unless something dramatic happens and that they might resume production prior to reinstatement. That doesn't stop Buckingham today from cutting Boeing to 308. They were at 365. I have to tell you, that was a very, very bullish conference call. It may have put a floor under the stock temporarily because what were we worried about? We were worried about dividends. We were worried about whether there's like some sort of existential crisis there. Calhoun handled himself very well. Seasoned, seasoned executive. 
David Impressive. David Impressive. Impressive. Sorry. Reading through the Calhoun. Calhoun. Oh, no, no, Calhoun. Not Calhoun. Got not Calhoun uh, from the Great Compromise. You know. Calhoun is CEO. Understood. There's the opening bell and the S&P 500 at the big board today. It is uh, Tech NYC, a tech advocacy organization celebrating startups in uh, New York City. At the Nasdaq, SWK Holdings, a specialty finance company focused on healthcare. care. Uh, the action in semis remains very interesting. Texan, uh, pretty solid signs of demand stabilization. Teradyne, Jim, we mentioned the upgrade at Morgan Stanley of Micron and Western Dig and ST Micro. Yes. I, I want to first highlight Steve Weiss on the Judges Show. He made a call yesterday. You have to give these trades. He said Teradyne. You, you just made 10% watching Scott Wadner. I like that. Uh, Teradyne's quarter was just insane in terms of the number of orders. They do uh, semiconductor testing. Now, the Texas Instruments call, I really want to disagree with that call. What you want to be, Marriott down $1.78. That's all SARS. Not SARS. I'm sorry. Corona. Um, this, this Texas Instruments call, Texas Instruments is, is more than 30% auto. But these analysts are so eager to get in that everybody raised their price target. Now, tonight, Skyworks Solutions reports. If Skyworks doesn't blow the number away, Liam Griffin, are you listening to me? Then I think that you'll find yourself uh, thinking, why did I buy Texas Instruments? Why did I necessarily buy Skyworks? They have to do a great number. But the stock Texas Instruments is telling the truth. The five price target bumps, did they listen to the call? Did they? Point of order. Did they listen to the call? Sound like Have uh, they no shame? Sound like a little like John Roberts ending things up last night. The impeachment hearings. Wow. So ordered. Wow. <laughs> the, I gotta watch those. The Western Dig upgrade. Uh, Morgan Stanley says memory pricing strength uh, surprises us. We didn't expect fundamentals to improve this quickly. Some wonder whether it's Huawei stockpiling, Jim. That's the conspiracy theory. Some of these guys, Huawei is like three, four percent. But I would tell you is that Western Digital, they're looking at Flash, and Flash is back. You know, why don't people just call us? This is about Apple. How much Apple do you have? If you got a lot of Apple, your stock's good, which Skyworks, by the way, is a huge amount of Apple, uh, Corvo. And if you have not a lot of Apple, Texas Instruments, your stock's not that good. Not as good. Why don't we just call it? Why, why, Why don't we have to be analyst speaking? I don't know. I don't know either, but how wrong are they on Texan? Texas Instruments. We haven't mentioned Tesla yet. Tesla. Okay, go uh, no, We <laughs> haven't ne- ne- mentioned Netflix yet. Netflix. Yeah. Okay, we're good on that. Got it. Got it. Yeah. On the record, UBS does reinstate Tesla's sell. Uh, they go to 410. Uh, From where? They, I don't know. It's a reinstatement, so they, uh, they, I don't know what was prior 160. coverage. Oh, Jesus. I mean, how wrong can we be? Hey, I said One, it. 160? I didn't like it at 160. And you know what? Now I don't like it at 410. Well, no, it's not at 410. They say that the shares are discounting 1.6 million cars in 2025. <laughs> we did 360,000 last year. They're discounting the idea that he has a battery that goes 1,000 miles. Yeah. Why are people... What? They're not discounting the global automated taxi fleet that has unlimited no, no. mileage it's with batteries that go forever. It's Look, batteries are, are, yeah. batteries are the new windmill. Okay. Don't know what that means, but thank you. No, battery. People think that if you can solve the battery conundrum, then you're the just conundrum being well, what? because they don't they run out. Much too can fast. you store? Storage. Yeah, but like, if who's going to who is going to come up with that other than the man who we have to protect? Not unlike the wheel, the inventor of the wheel or the now, wedge. What is that from? The wedge. <laughs> the don't wedge. forget the pulley. 
President Trump <laughs> left out protecting the guy who came up with the poll. Yeah. Uh, Mnuchin um, had some uh, interesting comments, Jim, on, on the 20-year. Uh, said yes. it doesn't take the 50 or 100 off the table. It did skew the curve a little bit. Uh, well, what he has to do, and I've been telling these guys left and right, listen to me. This has got to be an infrastructure bond. Do a 50-year infrastructure. Certainly earmark it. Don't just make it like a regular bond. Gary Cohn was interested in that. Now, Gary has come out quite oppositional to the administration. One of the biggest critics. Saying that economy could have been much better off the tariffs, but they, but he did think that the idea you could actually sell a 50-year based on that it's going to be earmarked, but he did talk about needing congressional approval. I've noticed that the president does a lot of things that used to require congressional approval that he has said don't, and no one seems to be challenging him. Wow, 172. Uh, as we've uh, lost sort of that 180 range we were in yeah. in recent weeks. Hmm. We've kind of been pegged at 176 for a few days there, too. Guys, worth mentioning Comcast, our parent uh, company, because we mentioned, of course, at the top of the show, very strong earnings, which appeared to be leading towards the stock hitting new highs. Uh, But that turned around, uh, and rather dramatically, at least it's called almost a 5% uh, turnaround there, based at least on what seemed to be the indicated price prior to the open of trading this morning. It's the call. Um, but, Jim, you know, a few different things. I know you've got something. Yes. But I'm, I, they don't have the full transcript out. And, of course, we're not able to listen to these calls while we're on, on air. Um, Mike Cavanaugh, the CFO, did say, listen, there are going to be rate adjustments that they're implementing in 2020, as well as ongoing changes, obviously, in consumer behavior. That leads them to expect higher video subscriber losses this year. Now, as I spent time discussing at the top of the show, video is not the key product here at, right. uh, at Comcast. Right. But they do say it's still valuable for us to attach to our broadband-centric customer relationships, but only to the extent that it helps us increase the lifetime value of those relationships. All that being said, Jim, that has resulted in the stock uh, turning around after, again, what was a strong quarter uh, at Comcast, not to forget a 10% increase in the dividend as well, 92 cents a share. But uh, cable EBITDA margin expansion was supposed to be 100 basis points. It's uh, only going to be 50 basis points. This is one of those stocks, by the way, that tomorrow you're going to hear seven analysts raise their price target and give you much better numbers. So before you assassinate the stock with sales, you will be buttressed by analysts who will want to tell the story. Uh, Jim, you've uh, had a busy morning uh, with Grubhub, which airs tonight. Wow. Uh, Wow. uh, Matt, people people love this stock. It was a seamless interview. But I'm bummed. Seamless. Got it. They own seamless. I'm on it. Uh, but Matt Maloney came out firing. I mean, he's got a new system for. Uh, do we have a clip? We got a little tease. Let's listen. Oh, man, we're good. The crazy thing about this story is, like, we're a public company. We have an obligation to review any valid offer, and of course we would. We haven't had any offers. And so, my, you, so DoorDash and Postmates have not contacted you? Well, Grub, my, my comment was we hadn't had any offers, and right. we're not seeking offers, because we're, we're really invested in the products, like Ultimate, that we're launching okay, right now. Okay, but if Uber were to come to you, it would be an unbelievable consolidation. You can make a fortune for your shareholders. This seems like a logical proposition. We would totally evaluate any offer. But it hasn't happened. But we haven't had one yet. I'm Where so did that journal piece come from? I he said it was uh, ether, thin air. I mean, just that, gas that back. That was going to be my question gas to back. you, and obviously you answered it. Yeah, that I was, mean. But it was, an, I mean, the move in the stock is not something, you you know, the move up and then the move I down. Know, but he says it smacked more of fiction than a fact. Right. He was adamant about it. I only, I, look, it's true, I only asked him about it maybe eight times. I wanted to do it 12. 
but it was it got awkward at a certain point. And at a certain point, I'm like, when did you stop beating your wife? But there was just no doubt in my mind that that story had a bit of a whole cloth going for it. Yeah. At one point, I said, this is the Wall Street Journal. It's a major publication. Now, David has taught me that, he, that major publications are no longer the way they used to be, too. Right? That they, There's stuff they hear that, something. That, that ends up sometimes that is not completely correct. But he was steamed. One of the reasons why I do so many stories. Yeah. I don't blame him. I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of the interview tonight on Matt. But you know what? Right now, we should bring in Gary Kelly. Okay, let's do that. All right. Southwest, symbol love, uh, out this morning with its latest quarterly results. The airline continuing to face pressure, not from their operations, because they're the best operator in the business, but because of the 737 MAX fleet. So joining us now exclusively, Southwest Chairman, CEO, Gary Kelly. Gary, great to see you. Sorry about this thing just not making your year so far. Uh, you were angry last time. You feel a little more ameliorated now? Oh, no. <laughs> no. You know, I think it's three months on, and uh, we're still talking about the same thing. And uh, so, uh, no, there's, there's you know, on that point, there's nothing to be happy about. I, I feel like there's been progress made, uh, but uh, not enough. And, uh, yeah, we need to get this thing done and get the max back up in the air. All right, so Gary, I got to tell you, I, I think I took about 20 flights in the last four weeks. You know, all anybody wants to talk about is, is, is this, if this is a 737 MAX six months from now, I'm not flying it. Gary, how do you reassure people when the longer this takes, the more worried the consumer is? Well, it's, uh, first of all, the, you know, the airplane needs to be, it needs to perform, and uh, we need to be comfortable that the airplane is safe. We need to feel that uh, our, our pilots are adequately trained. Uh, so all that needs to be very, very carefully vetted at the right time. That's number one. Number two, then, we need to be transparent. We need to communicate. Boeing needs to step up and communicate. And the FAA has a role here. Uh, of course, well, we'll rely heavily on our pilots as a part of that communication uh, campaign. But uh, we need to get the airplane back in the air. We need to convince people by uh, its performance, that uh, they can be confident in it. We are not going to operate the uh, airplane unless we are confident. Uh, we've established a lot of trust with our customers over near 50 years, uh, and we're certainly not going to squander that now. Yeah, it's important to point out that a pilot would not want to go into something that they were unsafe in, but this brings up another issue. Yeah, uh, what we're hearing from Boeing, and they've been very cryptic, you almost have to read the tea leaves the way they used to be, or the Kremlin wall, there was the story that Dennis Mullenberg felt that this is the same plane as the old plane, so you did need to put uh, pilots in simulator. Obviously, your pilots have thousands of hours. I'm sure they can handle anything, but we do not have that across the board. Was Mullenberg wrong to say, you know what, we don't need new training? I don't think so, you know, but uh, again, I can, in fairness to your question, uh, and it's a legitimate question, uh, I just know Southwest Airlines. I know our pilots. We hire very experienced pilots. On average, they have 6,000 hours of experience before we even hire them. Uh, so they are expert on the 737. It is the only airplane that we fly. We're the gold standard when it comes to hiring, our flight crews, our training, our procedures, all of that. So I'm very confident in that, as are our pilots. What other airlines do, as you all would understand, I'm not knowledgeable, and you know others are going to have to make that assessment. But as far as our company and our pilots, 
is there question is there a need for additional simulator training our pilots tell me no uh, is additional training harmful absolutely not uh, but it needs to be fact and, and data driven in terms of setting those requirements and not just doing things that make us all feel good uh, and uh, you know, we're very comfortable with the airplane. We have almost 80,000 hours of flight experience in it. We had no problems uh, with the airplane. And uh, we're just looking forward again to uh, getting it ungrounded and getting to work on getting it back in the air. Uh, Mr. Kelly, uh, you know, I'm curious, have you had a conversation with or heard from David Calhoun since he took over as CEO? And if so, uh, can you share at all what that conversation uh, was like? Well, I know David well. David is a friend. I've known him since his GE days, uh, you know, 20 years ago, and have kept up with him over the years and consider him an outstanding uh, business leader um, and j just a top-notch executive. So absolutely, we've had conversations. I had conversations with him, with him when he was lead director at Boeing and then, of course, when he was chair. Um, I would never want to share those conversations uh, because, that, you know, they were private conversations. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's certainly uh, the things that you hear from him publicly, I agree with. I believe in him. I believe in Boeing. I've said that before. And uh, they're an important company for our country. Uh, and they'll get these things addressed. They've made a lot of mistakes. They've got, a, they've got things they need to fix. Uh, but uh, I think he's the right man at the right time. Hey, Gary, last time you were with us, uh, we talked about the prospect of maybe the board considering becoming a customer of a manufacturer other than Boeing in the future, uh, whether you would consider that one day. A lot of people were skeptical given the cost that that would involve, and others suggested, well, maybe Gary's just posturing for better prices. How serious were you? How serious are you? Well, we're obviously it has those posturing benefits but that's uh, not who we are and that's not what we're doing no we're serious and I think if you were to turn the question around and we hadn't shared that that was our view you would say why aren't you Southwest looking at some alternatives now uh, I think it's our duty to do that and it's a serious endeavor and and we need to give it a good look now is not the time to be focused on exploring that question. Right now, we need to be laser focused on running a great operation, taking great care of our customers, and getting the max back into service. So at the right time, I want to take a good look at that. But uh, yeah, uh, any competitor to Boeing uh, has a real challenge. They're going to have to come with uh, some solutions, a timeline that makes sense for us, a product that meets our needs, and the price has to be right and factor in that there's an extra cost uh, involved with uh, operating multiple fleets. The um, other thing to remember is that we cherish our low-cost position, we cherish our low-fare brand, and so all of that has to fit and uh, it just remains to be seen whether uh, that problem can be solved. Um, you don't have a lot of international exposure, but uh, airlines are, as a sector are under pressure on this coronavirus. Uh, we've yeah. been through scenarios like this before. I wonder how you see this one playing out, at least given the information we have right now. Well, and, and your, your point is a good one, which is this is not new. We've been here before, we, you know, going back to the SARS uh, epidemic, uh, gosh, uh, 15, 20 years ago. So, yeah, we, we know what to do. We have the right protocol. You're, you're correct. We don't have exposure to Asia 
uh, but that doesn't mean that we don't have exposure here. So we're working with the CDC. All of our operations folks are poised to uh, uh, step up uh, our, our protocols if we need to, but at this point we haven't made any changes uh, in terms of our operations. All right, Gary, uh, this is a great time for this country in terms of growth, uh, in terms of business. I, I got to ask you, how much could you have made if it weren't for this? Well, Jim, I'm glad you asked. Um, you know, going back a year ago, I, I shared at the time that we were so excited about 2019. It, it was really positioned to be our best year ever. We had some cost pressures. Uh, and as you all know from our release, you know, we came in under budget. Uh, if you take into account the, uh, the effect of the max, our costs were only up 2.7%. Uh, and that was a lot with a lot of different inflationary pressures. So that was good. But uh, straight answer, you know, if you just look at the uh, effect on our earnings that the, the max uh, penalty uh, imposed, $828 million that we shared uh, the estimate, uh, that, that means our earnings would have been 28% greater, uh, you know, and at that, you know, that's, that's many billions of dollars in terms of shareholder value and uh, just using the, the, the multiple that we have. So uh, we had a near uh, record fourth quarter as it was, but um, even, even with that penalty, we had record earnings per share on a non-GAAP basis. Um, Earnings would have been up a third compared to a year ago. It would have easily been an all-time record. So, yeah, that's frustrating. I think what is more concerning to me, though, is the fact that we weren't able to grow. Uh, we're, we're losing share. Uh, had we maintained our normal pace, we would have earned another six or seven million customers uh, in 2019. And so, yeah, we don't want this to go on indefinitely. Um, it won't. We'll get the max back. Uh, we'll get it back into service, uh, and we'll get back on our growth track. And the nice thing is the economy is solid. We have wonderful opportunities to grow, uh, and uh, we're anxious to get at it. Well, talk about buying opportunity if you, the closer we get. And Gary, one last thing. Uh, ESG, uh, we have to ask. It's just right to ask. What can an airline do to cut down its emissions? Well, um, First of all, uh, Jim, it's, an, it's a very important topic, and it's something that uh, the industry, the airline industry, needs to do more over the next, uh, certainly the next 10 to 20 years. But um, you can reduce your consumption per trip, uh, which is helpful, and the industry has done that. Uh, consumption over the last three decades has been cut in half, uh, so a very significant uh, improvement there. The max is important in that regard because there's a 15% uh, reduction in uh, fuel burn and, and uh, carbon emissions. Uh, so that's important. But ultimately, I think the most tangible thing that the industry needs to do, and we need to work with the energy industry, is alternative fuels. Alternative fuels is the answer for uh, air transportation, uh, and they need to be commercially available in adequate supplies, commercially available in terms of the right pricing, uh, and there just needs to be more focus and more effort uh, on that. Uh, carbon offsets uh, are fine, uh, but in the end, you know, there's only so many offsets available in the world, so that's not going to solve the problem. Uh, we need to get at uh, fossil fuel replacements and uh, 
uh, the technology's there. We have some alternative fuels that we use, but uh, right now it's a hobby. And we, again, as a country, we need to get serious on that and get going. Uh, Mr. Kelly, uh, before we let you go, if we could just come back to the max one final time here. I mean, I was struck by those numbers you shared with us in terms of potentially a 28% increase in earnings that would have been available to you. Um, you got a product that's not working that was sold to you uh, or that you bought. I, you know, I wonder to what extent do you go back to Boeing and say, you owe us a lot more money in terms of what we've lost and the opportunity that we've lost here? Well, those, those discussions will absolutely happen, and, and we shared that in the press release. Now, again, to be clear, our earnings, um, uh, we estimated our earnings would have been, let's say, Understood. 28% higher. And we settled with Boeing on that, and I don't think investors have paid enough attention because at least from the balance sheet, from the cash uh, perspective, we, I'm not going to disclose exactly what our settlement was, but... Um, you know, the, we, we have the financial resources as if we uh, had the max in operation for 2019. So you, now you fast forward to 2020 and add in the, the issues that, that you bring up. We'll absolutely be talking to Boeing about that because it is a setback for us and we are going to have to work hard to catch up. Uh, and we'll need Boeing's assistance to do that. All right, Gary, thank you so much for coming on. You are always a straight shooter. It is much appreciated. Well, thank you all for having us, and uh, appreciate all that you all do. You all have a great show. Okay, thank you so much. Gary Kelly, Southwest Air. Dow down 152, uh, seeing some challenges in uh, commodities, copper, uh, cyclicals like Cat and Cummins. Let's get to the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, where our Sarah Eisen is live with us, uh, sitting down with a special guest, Sarah. Good morning, Carl, Jim, and David. Joining me here from Davos is United Nations Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez. Thank you so much, Mr. Secretary General. It's a nice pleasure. to see you. So you've just arrived in Davos. How would you explain or characterize the state of global political tensions right now? I think we are having the highest uh, geopolitical tension uh, that I remember since I started. Uh, we were on the verge of, of a war uh, in the Gulf, and we can imagine the dramatic consequences that the war on the Gulf would have for the region and even for the global economy. Uh, we have a dysfunctional relationship in the Security Council, namely among the three uh, greatest powers, which of course makes it more difficult in relation to the different crises, be it Libya, be it Yemen, be it Syria, be it uh, in Africa or Afghanistan, to create the conditions for a quick solution to put a stop to those conflicts. We see terrorism progressing. Uh, we see non-proliferation as a risk again, so the nuclear risk is there. So we live in a difficult period where geopolitical uh, tensions are also having an impact on the economy uh, because they generated, uh, as you know, uh, trade tensions, oh, yes. technology tensions that are even bigger, in my opinion, than trade tensions. And uh, I think that uh, this has slowed down growth and has contributed to the difficulties that the global economy is facing. Let's talk about a few of them, uh, one that the market has been paying very close attention to, the U.S. and Iranian conflict. Where do you think this is heading? Now, I think that uh, it was very important uh, that uh, things have not escalated. Uh, we had the incidents we had, but afterwards, both sides have stopped. 
impact. And this was extremely important. And now what I think is also essential is to create conditions for a platform allowing a discussion about the future. Because this tension cannot remain forever, because if this tension remains forever, we are at the mercy of an incident that then can trigger an escalation that would become extremely dangerous. Is it your expectation that, that the European countries are going to bring a formal complaint to the UN Security Council that Iran has violated its 2015? They have announced it. Uh, yeah, uh, agreement? It's up for them to, uh, to, to decide, but they have announced it. Uh, and so I think Which would they, trigger sanctions. I think it's credible that these might... It, it, it's a process that takes a lot of time. I think, I think their intention is uh, uh, to uh, create conditions for a discussion to restart. That is my belief. That is their intention. Iran. But of course, no, Iran I mean, or Europeans? The Europeans. Uh -huh. But uh, that doesn't mean that, uh, of course, the, the Iranian reaction uh, might uh, create a situation in which that becomes even more difficult. You mentioned trade tensions, of course, another hot topic here. The U.S.-China phase one trade deal... How much in your mind does that alleviate some of the tensions between the world's two biggest economies? No, it has helped. Uh, it has helped the global markets, as we know. Uh, so it had a positive impact. Uh, global economy is apparently uh, giving signs of uh, uh, trying to start recovering. But the problem is not solved. And on the other hand, I think that uh, especially the technology divide is creating the risk. And the risk is that at a certain moment, the two biggest economies tend to uh, polarize uh, around them. Uh, dividing the global economy into two, with two internets, two uh, intel uh, artificial intelligence strategies, and then two military and geostrategic uh, 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 strategies. You're talking approaches. about a full scale And technology. this kind of dividing the world into two it would be very dangerous. Uh, there is a so-called to see the strap. Uh, I think we need to avoid the confrontation. We create conditions to have a global market, a global market and international law, a global market uh, with uh, multilateral mechanisms of governance like the IMF, the World Bank and the others and the that UN. everybody respects. But, you know, the, the trend is actually going away from that. President Trump came here and said the message to governments is take care of your own people. I mean, it's more of an inward looking policy, which is really spreading around the world if you look at Brexit or the United States. So how do you convince at the U.N. I, I think everybody needs to take care of their own people. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's my, I was prime minister. My first responsibility was to take care of my own people. The point is that to take care of anyone's people, we need to solve global challenges. And those global challenges can only be solved if we have a multilateral approach, or at least an approach based on solid international cooperation. You won't solve climate change without international cooperation. You won't solve the problems of uh, new technologies, the cybersecurity problems without international cooperation. You won't solve the problem of uh, artificial intelligence, uh, potential threats, uh, if uh, you don't have international cooperation. I think the more complex the world is becoming, the more technology is evolving, the biggest the challenges of a small world uh, with a growing economy and with a physical limitation that climate change demonstrates, the more this happens, the more a multilateral approach that needs to be reformed, that needs to be more inclusive of the civil society, of the business community, not only of governments, that needs to be uh, in articulation, in network yeah. between IMF, World Bank, UN, uh, OMC, uh, the different other, uh, WTO, the different other regional organizations. We all need to work together because the problems we face are problems that are very difficult. Look at terrorism in the Sahel. There's no way you can address the terrorism in the Sahel if you do not have an engagement of the UN, an engagement of the regional organization, the support of the European Union, and uh, also a, a development support to those countries that requires the World Bank to get fully, fully on board. So we need more and more a multilateralism that is a network, 
and that is inclusive to allow the business community, the youth, uh, the local powers, the cities. Yeah, the, no, it just feels ma- like we're going voice, the other way. To have a voice. Uh, you mentioned cyber as one of the challenges. Cover of the Wall Street Journal today. Bezos phone hack connected to Saudi leader UN signals. Why, why is the UN involved in this? No, it's, uh, it's, uh, we have the, um, s- several independent entities within the UN that do investigations in those things. So it's not the UN official uh, that has done it. It was someone that uh, follows those UN experts. Uh, UN experts. Uh, and uh, obviously this is a, a serious question that deserves to be properly addressed. Are they investigating this? As I said, the not the UN as such. We well, don't have powers investigation of these situations as such. What about the, the cyber threat? the Human threat? Rights Council, for instance, yeah. there are experts, independent experts, that uh, uh, pronounce themselves on different issues of different natures. What about the cyber threat? I mean, this sort of feeds into your worry about a broader technology war, artificial intelligence, 5G, cyber warfare. How much worse is it getting? I think it's very worrying because there is not an effective international... There is a kind of chaos in the cyberspace. Um, uh, it's like the, the, the Wild West of the past. Uh, and we need to... Ha- I, I don't think we can have forms of regulation based on international conventions like in the past. What we need is platforms where states, companies, uh, research centers, uh, the civil society come together and find forms of cooperation, define some red lines, uh, create some protocols, some norms uh, that are flexible, that are adjustable, that accompany the technological evolution, but that guarantee that, in the essence... The cyberspace is a force for good and limit the capacity of terrorists, of uh, uh, white supremacists, uh, of uh, uh, those that uh, spread hate speech and of gangsters of all sorts uh, to use it uh, against the community uh, in general. Antonio Guterres, thank you so much, Secretary General of the United Nations. Pleasure speaking with you today. It was a pleasure to be here. Carl, just a sort of snapshot of some of the bigger concerns going on here from geopolitics to cyber to, of course, this this odd story about Jeff Bezos going on on the sidelines of the uh, World Economic Forum here in Davos. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.